1 Corinthians chapter 6. And if you didn't bring a Bible, look under the seat in front of you or down the row. There should I, I spread them out throughout the, uh, the sanctuary this weekend after we... And, and also, I just want to mention, those of you who, this is your first time in a long time at North Hills, it's just like, you know, it was, it was you're just trying to find a seat, that sort of thing. And it's just like any time you visit someplace for the first time, it's like, well, you know, where am I going to sit? And, and who am I going to sit next to? Well, I, I just want you to know that for all of the people that normally go here, it's all different. Um, normally, there's rows on the outside, and the chairs are against the walls, but with Vacation Bible School happening, and we had all the chairs messed up anyway, we thought, let's try something different that we haven't tried in a long time. So, for those of you who came in and you felt sort of awkward, you know, where's, where's my section? Where did it go? Just take note that that's how people that come for the first time feel. That's how they feel. And we need, to, we need to recognize that. We need to know that, uh, that when people come for the first time, it can be a stretch for them to come. And we need to do what we can to, to help them feel comfortable here uh, at North Hills on a Sunday morning. So, um, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 6, and we're tackling verses 1 and 8. Last week, we saw how Paul was, was, was tackling this issue of sexual immorality in the church. In, in chapter 5, and also at the end of chapter 6. Paul said, look, look, there is this, there, there is sexual immorality and you're allowing it to occur in the church. You've become comfortable. In fact, you've become arrogant about this. You're, you're justifying it. You're making excuses for it. And, and not only is it not right, but you need to go to those people that are, that are behaving this way and, and you need to go in, in Christ and, and you need to confront them on it. And Paul says that at the end, and, and Jesus said the same thing, if they don't repent and turn around, you are to cast them out. That's what Paul says. You are to treat them like a tax collector. And we go, whoa, wait a minute, that's harsh. That doesn't sound like love, right? But Paul is concerned that this stuff will, will subvert the message of Jesus Christ and the truth if it's, if it's left to sit there and grow. And we see that in the church really worldwide right now in, in terms of, of our sexuality. Uh, and I just, again, I just want to point this out this morning. I, I, I just read this this morning. The uh, Evangelical Covenant Church had, had their uh, meetings here this week, and uh, the the first covenant church was founded by Swedish immigrants in 1874, and it was in it was in Minnesota. And for decades, it was one of ECC's largest churches nationally until the the 70s, and then it started to decline. That sort of thing. Um, the the ECC president John Winrick said in a statement, "I hope this historic church someday changes its mind and then returns to our family." Essentially, what happened was the pastor of the first first covenant church in Minnesota uh, performed a same-sex marriage, and they had a statement, and they said essentially, "We're going to do whatever we want to do, no matter what the, what our denomination says." And the denomination said, "We'll hold the phone." Um, they, they, they took the pastor's license away, said, you cannot be in this denomination anymore. They, they removed the church from their denomination. And, and we think, wow, that's 
harsh. And, and you read, some people read about that and they go, what is going on? What, what is the deal with this church? And that, that denomination is doing exactly what we looked at last week. That's exactly what Paul said should be done. In order to preserve the truth, we have got to stand up against these things that the Bible says are wrong. This is sin. And, and again, we looked at it last week. Premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexual sex, it's all wrong. It's sin. And we need to stand up against it. For 47 years, um, there is a pastor who has also been suspended. Now, listen to this statement. This is a statement from uh, Matthew Armfield, who attends First Covenant. This is what he said. It is so unbelievably upsetting to see my father, Dan, he was a former pastor of this church, and my fellow members of First Covenant experience the hate, deceit, and actions that go against the teachings of love and inclusion that Jesus Christ preached. Hear that, hear that mindset. You're opposing something that I'm doing, some behavior that I'm doing, and because you're opposing that, that's not loving. And, and Paul says, and, and we will see Jesus says, coming against that sin is the loving thing to do. It's hard, and it makes us all uncomfortable, and it makes our skin crawl because we know somebody out there is going to say, well, you're just a bigot, or you just don't love people. When in reality, we're following the truth of Scripture. Now, we need to do that in love, and we need to do that recognizing that there are those who are in the church and those who are outside of the church. We saw that last week, and if you're sort of lost in this, please go back and listen to, to what we talked about last week. But that is a hard decision to make for a denomination, for a church. But I think as we look at God's word, it's the right one. It really is. Oh, I, I, that. So as we start chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 here, it seems odd in some ways that Paul would throw in um, talking about lawsuits and suing one another in the midst of this conversation about sexual immorality. But as I looked at this this week and, and studied this, it's, it seems like a decent place for it to be because if, if we think of lust as a sexual um, desire, the, one of the definitions of lust is actually to feel a strong desire for something, whether it's lust of money or food or power or to be proved right over someone. And Paul continues to tackle and, and challenge the Corinthians on their arrogance, their, their, their sense of entitlement, their sense of, of not having their rights stepped on. And so it seems kind of fitting, actually, that this would be right where it is, because Paul's just continuing the conversation of what our attitude is in the church and, and in the world as the church. Now, there's some pretty crazy stuff that happens in courtrooms, right? I mean, sometimes you see a lawsuit come across your screen, and you just go, seriously, are you kidding me? Um, like, like early on the morning of July 7th, 2001, a prankster dumped detergent into Canal Park's Fountain of Wind in Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, creating a mountain of bubbles. Several hours later, passerby Kathy Kelly walked into the suds and slipped into the fountain. 
sustaining a laceration of her lower left shin. Due to her diabetes, the cut later became infected, resulting in $43,000 worth of medical expenses. So what do you think Kelly did? She sued the city because they didn't take care of this problem. I guess it had been reported, and it, it was over four hours before workers got down there to, to mark that this was a hazard to people. Okay, and in March 2004, a jury found the city 70% responsible and Kelly 30% responsible for the injury, awarding her $125,000. Wait, the medical expenses were only forty-three. How did 70% of that, I don't know. Anyway, I just think, who can't see a, a mountain of bubbles coming out of a fountain? I mean, right? So what was the point? Money. Greed. Um, I don't doubt that she was injured, but I don't know that it was the city's fault that somebody else put detergent in the fountain as a prank. Um, in the October 2000, um, let's see here, it's, Okay, now get this one. It's hard to believe that anyone could win a lawsuit for being injured while trespassing on someone else's property, right? Uh, but that's exactly what happened to two Lancaster, Pennsylvania teens who were severely burned atop a parked railroad car in 2002. While out skateboarding, Jeffrey and Brett illegally entered property owned by Amtrak and Norfolk, Norfolk Southern Corporation and climbed on top of a boxcar in hopes of getting a view of the city. An uninsulated wire suspended above the train jolted Klein with 12,500 volts of electricity, causing severe burns over 75% of his body. Birdwell received burns over 12% of his body when he ran to assist his friend whose clothes were on fire. In the October 2006 trial, a jury said, although they were trespassing, the 17-year-old boys bore no responsibility for the accident. Instead, the blame fell entirely on Amtrak and Norfolk Southern for failing to post signs warning of the danger from the electrified wires that power locomotives for medical costs, pain, and suffering, and loss of life pleasures. The teens received combined $24.2 million. Okay, now, this is worldly thinking, right? Right? I mean, I, 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 that just is ludicrous to me. Come on. Where's the responsibility? If those boys had not trespassed, they wouldn't have got hurt. Okay, let's, let's turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more are the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? 
Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. A judge enters the courtroom, strikes the gavel, and says, Before I begin this trial, I have an announcement to make. The lawyer for the defense has paid me $15,000 to swing the case his way. The lawyer for the plaintiff has paid me $10,000 to swing the case her way. In order to make this a fair trial, I'm returning $5,000 to the defense. (laughs) Now, I, I have to say... Uh, and I wish he was here this morning, but congratulations to, to Nate Hibben for uh, being the next in line for serving as a, as a district court judge, as a, as a, as a judge. And, uh, you know, uh, we have a, a, a former member of North Hills uh, who is, sits on the state Supreme Court. We need men and women of God in those positions. Um, they... they they will follow the law, and sometimes they're put in a bind because sometimes the laws of our land are wrong. But as far as men and women who, who are followers of Jesus Christ and looking to do the very best and honest, make the best and honest judgments that they can, they're not taking $15,000 under the table. They're, they're studying the laws and, and, and with, with God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit in their life are making the best judgments that they can humanly make. And I'm thankful for that. Because, you know, I may do something stupid someday and I may be sitting in front of one of those men or women and I, I want them to do what's right by God's word and by the law. And, uh, but, but Paul here is using some pretty strong language in talking about suing one another and, and going to, to courts of law. Now, this was a big thing in, in the Greek culture. And, and these Christians didn't want their rights to be stepped on. And so they were, they were just doing what they normally did. But I want to point out right off the bat that Paul is not saying that all actions in a courtroom or or under a jury, or under a judge, are wrong. Paul is not saying that. He's not saying never should this be a part of, of what you do in your life, because we see Paul himself invoke the courts and his rights as a Roman citizen in the book of Acts, Acts 28, verse 19, the beginning of that, Paul says, the Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. It's exactly what Paul was doing. He was a- appealing to the law of the land. And in Romans 13, 1 through 7, Paul says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but but also as a matter of conscience. 
This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So we don't get an out as Christians. We can't conscientiously object to taxes because God's word says that we pay taxes. Now, litigation, as I, again, as I've studied, seemed to be high on many people's list in the Greek culture. Sounds like our own, doesn't it? Paul seems to be experiencing a combination in here of anger and a broken heart over how the Corinthian Christians were treating each other. Uh, the, the, Christ, the Corinthian Christians were busy about protecting their rights. If any of you, right there in verse 1, has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Paul is saying here, don't hang your dirty laundry in the public square. They don't need to see it. You can take care of it yourself. It, it, it makes matters even worse. Their pride and their arrogance and their selfishness and their greed, which I hope that we are all wrestling through and struggling with and surrendering and trying to grow in. We're trying to grow in humility and offering others forgiveness and grace, and sometimes we struggle with that. And it's a process. And when we air that stuff out there for everyone to see, and I, I would actually throw Facebook in there as well, when we air that stuff out there, it, it doesn't do any good to, to hang it out there. Um, let me read you the whole thing in Acts 28, 19, when Paul was talking about appealing to Caesar. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. So it wasn't brothers in Christ that Paul was bringing this against. You see, in Jesus Christ, we are not the enemy. That person sitting next to you or across from you in this room or in this county from other churches, we are not the enemy. Our battle is so much greater than that. It's not against flesh and blood. Now, we will have disputes. Paul's not de denying the fact that there's conflict in relationships with people. But he's saying there's a right way to handle this and there's a wrong way to handle this. And the Corinthians were not choosing the right way. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to be unified and we are to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom as we work through this stuff. Now, I get that this is uncomfortable stuff. It is a whole lot easier to send a text message or to post a negative comment on Facebook when we have a conflict with someone else than it is to actually call them and sit down with them over coffee or whatever and have a conversation about this uneasy feeling that's going on or this wrong that they've committed to you or that you've committed to them. But that's what we're supposed to do in the wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives us to work out our differences and conflicts in love and in forgiveness I mean, working through our differences is a whole different ballgame when we do it in the wisdom, in godly wisdom, than in our worldly human ways. And we need to rely on one another and the help of other believers to prayerfully consider our thoughts and actions. 
When's the last time you were wrestling with something and you called a pastor or a friend or an elder and said, hey, I'm really, I'm really struggling with this situation. Can you help me? Can you pray for me? Can you give me some godly wisdom? Now, I've always attributed this to my dad. I'm sure, I, I know he didn't write it, and, and nobody really knows who this is attributed to, but dad always said, it's better to be silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Right? There's some godly wisdom in that. There's actually a proverb that kind of leans, it's not those words exactly, but it talks about being silent. And as I said last week, Jesus gives us a formula for dealing with conflict and disputes, and I want to mention it again. Matthew chapter 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not, these are the words of Jesus. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. In other words, let's make sure our stories are straight. It's not, it's not so there's three or four against one. It's so that we can, we can agree that, the, that we're actually talking about the issue here. There's a problem here, and we need to resolve this. And Jesus, again, goes on to say, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And last week, again, I think what he's talking, Jesus is talking about here is, is more the leadership, not get up on Sunday morning and, and, you know, tell the church everything. Not everybody, but the leadership Okay, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Those are the words of Jesus. You see, it's, it's to be between one another within the church using godly wisdom to work these things out. So let's not hang our dirty laundry in the public square. Look at verses 2, 3, and 4. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more are the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. What in the world is Paul talking about here? Judging angels? He's saying there is a time coming when God will hit his proverbial gavel on the table and he will say, all rise, the godly court is in session. And we will be the judges. Paul asks a rhetorical question here, of course. Do you not know? Come on, you guys, really? Don't you remember? Don't you remember what your future holds when life gets hard and conflicts rise and we start to feel like our rights are being stepped on? Let's remember the future, the godly, eternal future that's out there for us, that, that God is preparing for us. Let's remember who's really in charge. Let's remember that keeping Jesus central in our lives is our greatest priority. Let's seek first the kingdom of God. And let's remember that as we seek first the kingdom of God, all these other things will be added. 
We don't have to worry about them. Throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus talk about how those who are in Christ will be raised to share with him. Raised to share with him the reality of, his, of this resurrection life. When things get rough, we need to remember whose we are to regain a proper perspective. And that's hard. Because we are to be like Christ, who, who loves unconditionally, who forgives, who says that we should forgive 70 times 7. That gets hard in our lives. And I think Paul may also be using a passage in the book of Daniel as a major source of his perception of the kingdom of God. And I want us to take a look at this as well. I've, I've, just, I've taken some of the verses out, but Daniel 7, 9 through 27, if you're taking notes and you can read this later, this is what Daniel said. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. But the court will sit. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. Man, what a perspective. We will sit as judges. I think of this all nations and peoples of every language, and I, I, I just... I actually wrestled with giving us this morning the message that we heard uh, during Vacation Bible School this week. I, th I think the one that, that was the most powerful and impactful for me was the fact that, uh, I don't know, maybe you can migrate around this, this side, um, these walls, and kind of look through some of this stuff on your way out of church this morning. But, but we talked about how, how after, the, after God flooded the earth and the ark landed, um, the people migrated to the east, and they sort of hold up in this one area, and, and they're all together. They're all in a, they all have the same language at this point. It's 100 years after the flood, and, uh, and then they begin building this tower, the Tower of Babel, and uh, they wanted to make a name for themselves, and, and they also said, and, and we don't want to spread out. We want to stay here, but God had told them to scatter. He wanted them to be fruitful, multiply, and spread out over the whole earth. But the people didn't obey him. And so what did God do? He confused their languages. 
and they all grouped in like groups like we do, the people that we know, the people that we can understand, the people that look like us. That's exactly what they did. And then they did exactly what God wanted them to. They spread over the whole earth. And one of the lessons we learned this week, and you talk about the incredible race and the fact that we are one race. We are all relatives of Adam and Eve. We are all relatives of Noah and his three sons and their wives. We are all distant, 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 distant cousins. All of us. It doesn't matter what our eyes look like, what our hair looks like, what color our skin is. We are all the same race. But you go fill out a job application, and it in, must indicate that we are different races because there's options, and I have to choose one. It kind of makes me want to go apply for a job somewhere and check the other box and write human. <laughs> right? Because that's what we are. And we learned this week in Bible school that, that, that none of us, if you look at this, that picture way back there on the right, and it's, it shows a, a dark-skinned boy, and it says, is he black? And he's sitting on a back, black background. No, he's dark brown. And you see the, what we would say is the white boy, and he's on, on a white background. Is he white? No, he's light brown. None of us are white. None of us are black. We are all different shades of brown. We all have the same exact pigment in our skin. Just some have more than others. And, and when human beings were scattering, we also learned that those with more melanin in their skin, more pigment, had a natural protection from the sun. Of course, they would be fine living in Africa where it's hot and sunny all the time. And those who were, were more light brown and had less pigment in their skin went to places that didn't have as much sun. Like the Netherlands and Scandinavia and Europe. That's why we have different shades of brown all over the earth. Because, not because we're different races. That's not right. That's not how God created us. And it's good for me to remember the Tower of Babel and recognize that that's, that's how we got different cultures and traditions and tribes, and nations. Nowhere does scripture indicate that they are different races. One race, just different groups. We need to be okay with that. So Paul says, therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. Look, this isn't to hide our dirty laundry from other people. It's to deal with it in-house. We don't just allow it to be. We need to deal with it. Not in outside public courts, but so that we can live as examples of the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ as we, as we imitate him and help one another follow and trust Jesus. Paul continues to emphasize this point in verse 5. I say this to shame you. That's a little harsh. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, I think what Paul is saying is every one of you could help mediate a conflict here with godly wisdom. But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. Again, it's that credibility thing. We lose... 
We can lose all credibility in, in uh, influencing somebody's life for Jesus Christ by one share on Facebook. That's all it takes. One half thought through, maybe funny to us, but maybe if we really thought about it, a bit offensive to a whole group of other people. And, and then, of course, if we're... If, you know, again, you've probably heard people say, well, those people in that church, they can't even get along with each other. Why would I want to go there? It's important that we follow God's word and, and work through these things together. Yes, it's hard. I mean, I, I don't like conflict like the next guy. But if we are tackling this with godly wisdom, God can do incredible things. So we need to daily check those rights that we think we should have to the Word of God and see if maybe they aren't a right. We need to pray for one another. We need to love one another. We need to help one another. We need to forgive one another. We need to have conversations and work through conflict. I mean, we have so many people, even in our own church body, who we would say are experts in this field who God has given gifts to help people think through things and talk through things and reconcile in the end. And as we do, others looking in will, instead of being repelled to the gospel, will be drawn to it because they see the power and the change that's actually happening in our lives. Not just what we say, but how we live. It's that credibility thing. I mean, we so want to hang on to our rights, don't we? But he hurt me. But that was, but that was offensive what he said to me. But, but you know, we, we, our rights are a big thing in America. I think living the Christian life is easy in another place where you don't have so many haves. You have a lot more have-nots. Because we start to think that we deserve this. We deserve that. Our freedom to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, unfortunately draws us into the worldly wisdom and way of thinking instead of the godly one. Just like the Corinthians. Verse 7, the very fact, Paul says, that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. I think what Paul is saying is we need to live like Christ. We need to live like Christ. Lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Think about that. Christian against Christian. One Christian wins, one Christian loses. Christianity loses either way, right? Doesn't matter who wins, who loses. In the end, they both ultimately lose. When we go after one another, winning at the expense of another Christian brother, it doesn't matter who wins. And someone in these cases is going to lose. Uh, one last verse to share. Matthew five thirty-eight to 40. Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Right? Do not 
Words of Jesus, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. But what about my rights? And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. I, I, that's, that's not the American way. Is it? No, the American way is to demand $24 million when the injury was actually caused by your own stupidity. That's the American way. The American way is to defend our rights. The American way is to exact punishment. And, and I recognize that, again, there is a legal system I'm not railing against that. What, what Paul is railing against is us in the church. And, and we need to heed his word. We need to work things out with one another. And if that means calling an elder or a pastor or a friend to say, hey, come, come help us work this out. We're just not getting it done. And, and, and this is an important relationship because we are both a part of the body of Christ. And, and instead of too quickly just cutting and running, we need to sort of, we just sort of need to stand strong and we, and we need to work through those things. And we may come to a point where we have to say, you know what, we just, we just are going to have to agree to disagree. We just can't, but, 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 but we have to be careful that we don't leave relationships just fractured and walk away from those and go fracture more and walk away from those and go fracture more because that's sort of I think the cycle that we can get into if we're not careful and we don't work through things so I try to spin I spin is a bad word sorry I tried to reflect on Paul's words in chapter 6 1 through 8 as positively as I could though you know maybe God stepped on your toes this week just as maybe he did last week we need to hear this stuff in our world today because we don't think about it enough. We just sort of go on and with the flow. So worship team comes up. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you, that you walk with us in the midst of life. And, and Lord, I know I mess things up. And Father, I pray that, that you would help people to have grace and mercy towards me when I just drop the ball. And, and Father, I pray that, that that would be all of our attitudes, knowing that, that none of us are perfect and none of us got it all figured out, but that we're all wrestling through life together. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to rely on your Holy Spirit and the wisdom, the godly wisdom that Paul talks about, the, the godly wisdom that we find in your word. And Father, I pray that you would help us to lay down our swords and lay down our rights and submit to you and surrender to you and the, and the work of your Holy Spirit as we interact with other people on a daily basis. God, I thank you for the great week we had with these young children and at vacation Bible school. And God, thank you for their parents. And I pray, Lord, that you would help all of our young parents to raise their children in, in a godly home, one that, one that is honest and, and transparent and recognizes when, 
when we must repent and surrender. And thank you. Thank you that you strengthen us. And Lord, now as we close our service with these couple songs and as we give of our tithes and our offerings, as we, I pray that you would continue to draw us together as, as, as the body of Christ so that the, the proclamation of the gospel could, could, could continue to be strong where you have sent us, here and over the world. In Jesus' name, amen.